I am Allison Cole, and even though I am a licensed psychologist, I am here to only provide general information about psychological and emotional issues, but my guest and I will not be rendering psychological or healthcare advice for any individual or for his or her particular situation. If you are seeking a diagnosis, treatment, or advice regarding medical or mental health issue, please request a referral for a psychologist, psychotherapist, or licensed professional. Hello, listeners. Welcome to podcast seven of What Does It Take to Heal? My name is Corey Griffiths. I'm a professional drug and alcohol interventionist with a lifelong interest in all forms of healing. I'm collaborating with Dr. Allison Cole, psychologist and owner of Create Outcomes, to do this podcast and uncover what it really takes to heal. This series will focus on how to know when you need help to heal and what it takes to find the right therapist. In our last episode, we discussed the question, is it okay to choose a therapist based on their gender, race, age, and cultural background? In today's episode, we will explore the question, what do you need to know about trauma before choosing a therapist? With us today, Sarah Fries, social worker, clinical director, and director of research and development at Create Outcomes. Sarah is also a trauma specialist. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks Good for having morning, me. Cole. Absolutely. Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here, Sarah. Good to be here, Corey. Thanks. All right, Sarah, in preface to a question, I believed that I didn't have trauma because I didn't want to be seen as someone who had trauma or see myself as permanently affected by trauma. I chose to remember my childhood as phenomenal because that's how I wanted it to be. I think growing up in the desert as a kid is pretty traumatizing in its own right, but allow me to preface a question for you, Sarah. I went to a 12-step meeting at Burning Man and remember a guy talking about being molested as a kid and was, was crying. And part of me was really uncomfortable and thinking, how is this guy bringing this up in front of a group of strangers? And what does it have to do with addiction or alcoholism? And this other part of me really wanted to raise my hand and say, that happened to me too. And I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't raise my hand, right? A couple years later, in treatment, I, in, a, in a much smaller group, I was able to tell a, story, a similar story my, uh, about you know, things that happened to me as a kid. And a friend of mine came up afterward almost in tears and said, I can't believe you just said that in front of all these people. The same thing happened to me as a kid. Prior to that, I believed that I did not have trauma because I had either spoken to a couple people about what happened to me as a child, being sexually molested, being neglected to the point that this wasn't even noticed. So my question is, would it have helped me heal had I considered these experiences trauma? And do you think it helps a, a person in general consider traumatic experiences as trauma in order to heal? 
Well, I want to just start, Corey, saying thank you for sharing your story. It was really impactful for me to hear. And that question is a good one because I feel pretty strongly about it. I do think you should be able to label that as trauma, talk about it as trauma, and that that is really helpful for healing. Because a lot of the themes of what trauma is, uh, it can feel like a lack of control. It can feel like a lack of predictability. It can feel chaotic. And usually that's how it feels internally throughout your life if you aren't able to identify what's going on. So once you have some language around it and you can talk about what it is, identify some of the things that are going on for you, what a symptom is, why something's happening for you and your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, it gives you a lot of power over like what is usually a very out of control experience. Thank you for that, Sarah. I always felt that I was avoiding my own responsibility and basically getting over shit that happened to me so that I could live a more free life. So do almost all clients who come to you believe that they have experienced trauma when they come to you? Or is that something that you often label for them further up the road? Your story, Corey, is very familiar to me in the sense that I think it's how the path looks to therapy for a lot of people. The idea that you can see your childhood as phenomenal is actually a really great survival tactic. It keeps you really safe as a kid to idealize what's happening um, and to still think of it that way as an adult. That's where it starts to break down. So the idea that people come in knowing whether they have trauma or not, I would say most people do not. And it's something that we uncover as the treatment progresses. Yeah, I would like to um, just highlight, you know, Sarah and I have worked together for a long time and I just respect the work you do, Sarah. And I really rely on you um, in our practice to kind of help us think through when somebody is coming in with trauma and kind of when's the right timing. So, you know, what Corey's story shows us is that, you know, even though he kind of had that aha moment at the Burning Man meeting, right, that it takes years to sort of get ready and to kind of own that you actually have trauma. And well, it's like, well, I brought it up a few times, shouldn't I be over it by now? And, and I think we see clients coming in with that kind of thinking a lot. And this podcast really wants to help people understand, what do I need to know about my trauma to show up at therapy? And I think, um, I just think it'd be important, Sarah, if you don't mind speaking to kind of how you go about easing somebody into that understanding, like Corey said, if they might not know, or if they do know, like what they could kind of think about in terms of how that progression would go coming into therapy and wondering if, if they're ready to talk about it or not, or what that timeline might look like. Yeah, that's a great point. So I do a lot of talking about talking in therapy, especially around trauma. Uh, it's really important as a trauma therapist to help people, we call it kind of like hit the brakes when they're starting trauma therapy, because if you come in and you think that you have to just say everything right away, that actually is harmful for the work that we're trying to do. You need to learn to trust me. We like, I need to be established as a safe person. It has to be comfortable to feel seen. Uh, so we really just take our time with it. Um, even labeling it, 
I usually throw it out there pretty quickly because I do want to start identifying trauma reminders. I want to just help the client have some control over what's happening, some understanding. Uh, but I would say that we do take our time and it's a lot of prep, especially with EMDR. There's a lot of what we call resourcing, making sure you have tools to cope, uh, strategies, and you have a lot of sort of, you can feel comfortable looking in and that's okay. And it feels safe enough to actually do. Thank you for that, Sarah. I, that leads to another question. Have you ever worked with someone who has had obvious trauma, but was over a significant time unwilling to admit that or label it that? And if someone has had these really difficult experiences, do you, as their therapist, try and get them to find the words in order to call it trauma or just tell them you've had trauma and, and let them deal with that? Okay, I'm going to start with your second question and then go back to your first. <laughs> so sometimes I'll say, wow, that sounded really scary or terrifying. Is that true? And the, the person might say, yeah. I'll go, that actually is how I define trauma a lot of the time. Something really scary that happens. Does that feel true? And if they're like, no, get out of here, leave me alone. I'm going to roll with it. Uh, but that's usually how I introduce it. Uh, and then your first question of if, if it's like kind of blaringly obvious to me, but not to the person I'm working with, I don't know if this is controversial, but I feel like this happens with men more than women, uh, just from the way that men are socialized to feel like it's weak. Just you even said in your story, Corey, that it felt like a weakness. Uh, you felt permanently affected and it takes a lot of vulnerability for everyone, not just men, for men and women. But uh, I, my experiences have been, it takes a little bit longer with male clients to feel safe enough with me to reach that level of vulnerability, to be able to kind of describe it as trauma and really talk about how it's impacted them. Makes sense. There, could we go back just a minute? Because I wonder if our listeners, I have brought it up in a previous episode, but it'd be great if you can just describe a little bit more about what EMDR actually is a lot. I know that it's kind of the number one trauma intervention that people are recommending based on research. And then I do have a, another question to throw on top of that. What other um, modalities or if someone is listening to this and is like, wow, I, I think I might have trauma and I might need to talk about it. You know, what is EMDR and, and are there other types of modalities they could um, consider? Yeah. So EMDR uh, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Uh, it was created by Francine Shapiro in the 80s. She herself wrote that she would just call it reprocessing therapy now if she could, but EMDR has become too popular and it's kind of just known as EMDR. So what it is, is it it's a little bit hard to describe. And it's one of those things, once you experience it, you'll, you can see why it's hard to describe, but it says the theory is that everything that happens to us helps us learn about ourselves more. So when something really scary or traumatic happens, we learn something from that experience. So typically it's a negative belief. Um, so it could be something as a kid, uh, 
you know, parents fighting, it's my fault that they're fighting. And then the idea is that a neural network starts to form around that belief, and then it continues to strengthen over time. So what EMDR tries to do is go into that neural network with all the negative beliefs and go, does this really still make sense anymore? And reprocess it to something that's more adaptive or more positive. So the way that we do that is what we call bilateral stimulation, which can look a lot of different ways. Uh, traditionally, it's like the therapist will be moving their fingers kind of left, right in front of your face, and you're tracking their fingers with your eyes. But now there's all sorts of ways to do that bilateral stimulation. But all that is, or I shouldn't say all that is, put more simply, when you put people, there have been a few studies in brain scans, uh, while they're doing this sort of bilateral simulation, the, the brain's a lot more lit up. And the theory is that you're processing much more quickly. So you're able to resolve uh, conflicts or make sense of something really scary or nonsensical as an adult more quickly than you would in traditional talk therapy. That is like the little tiny one minute <laughs> pitch, but I could keep going for a long time. So if you have any specific questions, please let me know. Well, thank you for that. I've, I have some experience with the MDR and was told that basically through the bilateral stimulation, we're forming new neural pathways or thought patterns and, and emotionality connected to that traumatic event so that when I think about it or talk about it now, I don't have the same effect of, of shame or ideas that I had that kept me from being able to discuss it at a prior to the therapy. So it worked well for me. I mean, I was using it for uh, anxiety. I was, I had different goals, but it, it affected my body in an amazing way. I just wasn't at that point in time defining my experiences as traumatic to myself. I wanted to add that in my experience of EMDR um, as a client, I was just shocked that it wasn't necessarily that I got these like brand new traumatic memories from my own trauma. In fact, I don't think I really had like a memory I had never had before. I think what shocked me, Sarah, was that it was like these little memories that didn't seem to mean much, but it had showed me by looking at these like little memories as sitting on the grass and these girls made fun of the way my dad walked or something like that, you know, because he was drunk. And um, I was over time able to trace back that the negative, you know, belief was that something was wrong with me because something was wrong with my dad. And um, so I just wanted to kind of put it out there because I think some people believe they go to EMDR and then all of a sudden they have these like crazy flashbacks of something they never knew. And maybe that could happen, but I don't know. I just thought that was important to say, because I've heard people just have kind of uh, misunderstanding of sort of what might happen in the room with EMDR. Oh yeah. It is not for memory retrieval. That is not the purpose. Uh, and I do think that's a common misconception. I do want to get to your other question, Dr. Cole, about uh, other treatments, because I will say I was an absolute EMDR skeptic 
Uh, it seemed kind of hokey to me when I first heard about it, but a lot of people in the field that I really respected were talking about it. I decided to check it out. And then I was completely sold by the end of it when I had, you know, part of the training is doing some EMDR yourself within it. And I had gotten really far with a memory that I had never thought of that way. So, but if EMDR is not for you or you tried it and you didn't like it, um, some other types of therapy, you, there is trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy, TFCDT. Um, and then some other approaches that I'm not as familiar with, but I've seen in the research, CBT, cognitive processing therapy, and then prolonged exposure. Uh, so there are, you know, other ways, if you go to psychoanalysis, if you're doing, um, IFS, like those are ways to also look at trauma, psychodynamic work, or re relational work, art therapy, but just in the research, um, what I'm seeing the most are those EMDR, TFCBD. CBT and PE prolonged exposure. Yeah. So all that jargon, but I think what would you say, Sarah, would be the most important component to what a therapist needs to be doing in the room to make trauma therapy safe, whatever modality they're using? Following the client's lead, which I think can be really hard and really noticing your own reactions um, to make sure your own anxiety or trauma is not getting in the way. So I want a client who's sitting with me to feel at ease, safe, able to say, no, I need to stop. I need a break. Like that is always part of my assessment. In the beginning, I make jokes, like you're going to be able to say no, right? <laughs> like I need to, we need to practice this. Or if it happens, I'll go, okay, I know you're ready. Like I, you were able to say no, or we need to stop, or I need a break. That is huge. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, that's a big one. I think we talk about in our practice a lot is just making sure the client has the control that the, that the therapist isn't in the lead, taking them somewhere where they weren't ready to go. So thank you. Thank you for speaking about that. Yeah. And you should always feel comfortable speaking up with your therapist. And if you don't just wrap it up, find someone new. Sarah, I have a question. Have you ever experienced the other side of this where someone comes to you believing that they have trauma and after an extended period of time you come to believe they do not and if so what would you do with that experience real quick i love that you said that Corey, because i've been seeing a lot with the Traumas just become this word millennials are using like we used to that used to be like this protected specific diagnostic category almost and now it's just like i'm walking down the street and i hear a 15 year old you know just talking with their buddy about their trauma trigger literally i heard that you know on the street from a teenager so we're hearing it a lot so i think that's a, a great question Corey. i wonder how you might answer that yeah i will say gen z instagram like it has made all of these terms a lot more accessible and even just from the 80s which i know is what now 40 years ago but there has been so much change in the field uh around trauma how we treat it how we think about it it's crazy but i don't think i've ever had anybody i can't it's hard for me to picture if someone okay this is it sometimes it's about attachment and that's not always trauma Sometimes people will use the word trauma, but it's really that 
their parent, they're not securely attached to their parents. And there is some controversy in the field about like, what is trauma when we're talking about attachment? But that is really the only time where I'm like, mm, I'm not totally sure if we're in trauma category, but there's absolutely something going on here that we need to talk about. And we'll probably treat fairly similarly. Similarly. That brings me to the question of like, I, it drives me crazy. It's uh, one of my pet peeves, even though I have used it, but I don't hear it maybe as much as a couple of years ago, but the big T, little T like that, instead of, instead of just like letting trauma be this definition we used to have for it. Now we have this like continuum. Any thoughts about that? It might be useful if I just give some definitions of trauma and then we can talk about big T, little T. Does great. that work? Yeah, that's great. So trauma usually is an emotional response to something really deeply distressing or disturbing. Uh, and it overwhelms the person's ability to cope. So not every traumatic event necessarily leads to a trauma response. Uh, it really depends on a number of factors. And if it does, that's totally okay. And we will look at it. Um, but some other things to know about trauma, it can be something, the event could be something you experience or that you witness or learn about. Uh, usually the reactions to the, the scary thing that happened interfere with your ability to, to function. And it just, like I mentioned earlier, results in changes the way that someone might think, act, and feel. So that's a pretty broad definition when you think about big T and little t. You know, people, big T for a lot of people, war, uh, accidents, death, but there are definitely things that happen that I think fit in this definition of trauma that benefits kind of thinking of it as a, also as trauma, um, divorce. Mm, what are some others? Maybe bullying or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like those relational stressors that happen. Mm -hmm. And really it's kind of like, I, I go with a whatever works type of attitude. If something happened and it's bullying and it wasn't life threatening, but it was pretty scary as a kid and trauma treatments working for it, I'm, I'm going for it. <laughs> so. So how does labeling an event as traumatic enable someone to heal quicker than if I just consider the event uh, something that happened uh, that I want to discuss in general therapeutic environments? I'm going to answer that from the EMDR lens because it starts helping us understand what you learned about yourself, what negative beliefs you're holding because of what happened, and what your trauma reminders are. Uh, or trauma trigger, whatever word you want to use. So, and that's just the people, places, things, smells that remind us of what happened. And that is such a distinct feature of trauma. Uh, or, and there are a few other things that kind of hypervigilance where you're always on alert, looking out for threat, nightmares, just in the way that you see the world can start to all be addressed if we label it as trauma and start treating it through that lens. And it also takes the burden off of the person like there's not something wrong with you you were born great you look at all the babies in the nursery you're just like all the other ones totally healthy and good and something really crappy happened to you 
And that's why you're feeling this way, not because you were born bad or born a, a certain kind of way that means you should feel this way. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, my interest in this is learning to take the experiences that I had that were most difficult and traumatic and say, good, I'm, I'm glad this happened because it can, it will, it enables me to become a person who can help someone else, right? Go through something or recover from something like this. Um, I, I, I wonder, I've never asked you this question actually, Sarah, but when you said, when you were talking about the babies, that we were all good babies, you know, and then Corey hearing you talk about, you know, maybe, you know, once I can get through this and I can overcome it, right? There's all these strong features and characteristics that come from people who have overcome trauma or even people who haven't overcome it, but they're, I mean, I could speak for myself, you know, a lot of the reasons why I can run a business and have these big visions is because this little girl thought she could save her dad, right? So then I thought I could save the world when I was 20, right? So that I could get control. So now I get to kind of benefit from these grandiose ideas of, or magical thinking that I could save my dad or save the world. Um, but the most, the most damaging, right, is that's hard to, um, that, that I think is the most common when you say like a negative belief or something is that we are damaged, right? Like, do you see that as like the most common sort of some version of that underlying negative message from trauma that like, I'm bad, something's wrong and different in me. And if, and if so, are there other kind of common self-talk or messaging that you see results from trauma? I do see that. I think it, I mean, the reason why I do this work is because I think it's so unfair that it completely hijacks a sense of self and who you really are. Uh, you know, I love that we were talking about resilience, which I think absolutely comes out of trauma uh, and some superpowers, like being able to run a business and think you can do everything. Uh, but I want people to be able to sort of hang up the cape and put it on when they want to. So as far as what I see, it yeah, it's a lot of self-limiting, um, like almost I'm doing this hand motion of like blinders on. It's very scary to just be out and open in the world and interacting with everyone, everything, because it's terrifying usually after trauma. So I see people very making themselves very small very closed off, cut off, just like, let me get through the day versus let me enjoy my life. I know for me, that was a great question, Dr. Cole, because yeah. I didn't have memories of, of now what I consider trauma. And when I was 18, I had been in quite a bit of trouble. And someone told me, my older sister told me, uh, you know, the reason you're so fucked up. I said, no, <laughs> she said, you were, uh, you were molested as a kid a lot. And I had never heard that. I didn't have any memories of that. And that was my introduction to this. So that the belief system that I had at the time did not want to see that as trauma because that would cause my identity to be one of, or my self-belief to be one of 
of lesser than, right? So that's why my interest now is always, is it better to use this term in order to heal? What is the best path for healing? And how does someone develop resiliency? I don't actually have a question from that. but I do have a thought, Corey, like, to me, what therapy will do trauma therapy is shift from I am damaged, like you had mentioned earlier in your story, I'm per- I felt permanently affected. So instead of I am damaged, something that happened to me that makes me feel like I'm damaged sometimes. That's everything to me. And being able to get those parts of you that you don't, you might not even remember to present day, pulling them out from the past and going, nope, look, we're here. We're an adult. We have way more control. We are safe. That's all the work that I'm doing with people, like feeling safe when you are safe, letting all of those parts know that, nope, that's all over. We're good. We're okay. And I, you did that work. Is there an obvious freedom that you see people get when they tell you an experience or a memory that they had never spoken about <clears throat> eventually not right away everyone's just wants to crawl under a rock in the beginning myself included um but when those light bulbs start going off or i can see people being able to do things that they've never done before experience themselves in a new way that is just blissful <laughs> it's so good And I know too, I think it's important to just let people know kind of what I'm thinking of. I'm bringing a lot of my personal self here today and I appreciate that opportunity to have, you know, you help us through this. And, you know, as somebody who had a traumatic experience like one time, which still can be, you know, very debilitating trauma, depending on how bad that experience was and how scary and life-threatening or whatever the components were, um but someone like me where it happened day after day for years and even though you know it wasn't some horrific abuse or sexual abuse it was having an alcoholic father that was unsafe and we were in unsafe situations where i felt like i had to be in charge and i'm 42 years old and i am just still learning in relationships how to not be afraid and and to even call it fear took EMDR and tons of individual therapy to even allow myself to say that I was afraid in relationships, you know, and um, I bring myself into this to kind of for our audience to know that, you know, it takes courage and uh, sometimes a long road to really understand how it's impacting, impacting you and to have those positive results, not that you don't have them along the way, but I do think there's a difference from, you know, when you have kind of one one episode of trauma versus going to a war for months and months or going through an entire childhood and kind of what people can expect for, for that road of healing. So it's kind of a big question. I hope that's not too hard to answer. So the question being, how long will it take to heal? And like, though like when somebody's looking at having like a one-time episode versus kind of a longer term years of it sort of how those two relate yeah so in my work in my own experience and what i've read the research i've done uh 
definitely the more what we call protective factors you have, usually the easier it is to heal as an adult. A one-time car accident is going to be, and you had healthy parents and everything was great for real as a kid. Yeah, it's going to be quick. But what happens is there's, for people who have a more complex history, like what you were saying, Dr. Cole, that all, there's so many layers to what happened and it just kept building and building and building on itself until you were finally able to get enough separation to be able to see yourself as individual from all the bad crap that happened and look at that in a new way. And it does just take a lot of unraveling. But what's cool is you really continue to level up, even though it feels so overwhelming. It's like you do the basics of, okay, it's over. I'm not in that situation anymore. I am safe. I don't have to control everything. And then you get to take a step up to the next layer, which might look really different. But I I think it's led to so much of your success uh, because you've been so, just from knowing you as a friend, you have been so relentless in your own personal growth and examining things that are deeply uncomfortable. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, no, I, it takes good friends too. That's the other thing. And that's so sad about trauma is sometimes we're so afraid um, and feel bad about ourselves. And like there's something wrong with us that we feel so isolated from others when we need people and support and love more than anyone, you know? And so no, I appreciate your friendship, <laughs> Sarah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> what sucks is that all the trauma ha- usually happens in relationship. It just such uh, screws with me every time that like the key to healing is also what hurt us. But I absolutely agree with you that friendship and love and family and ca- well, healthy family <laughs> is what helps you get out of it. Yeah, chosen family. Usually. Chosen family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I know that we'll, you know, be wrapping up soon. So I want to, you know, I know Corey may have another question or two, but um, I really just feel my own vulnerability as we're talking and anybody who listens to this and is even considering or thinking about working on their trauma or what they think might be trauma. I just want to say you're courageous for even thinking about it because sitting here talking, I can feel my own heart like feel vulnerable and scared and i know that if i've been doing this work i've been in the field 23 years i've been in probably 20 years of therapy altogether. like i've done all sorts of kinds of therapy like for to for it still to be it takes courage and so um and corey i just want to thank you for you know putting your vulnerable story of being a little boy and what happened to you and and um, I just want to really thank you, Corey, for being willing to share, because I think that's going to help our listeners not feel so alone like you did in that meeting and that other guy did in your meeting. And um, so I just wanted to give a shout out to our audience and to both of you for your vulnerability before before we wrap up. But Corey, is there more on your mind for Sarah well, before I, we head in I that direction? I want to thank you for that. And thank you, Sarah. Um, my concluding thought would be that I appreciate the way you described leveling up, or as I say, a higher level of freedom. So the message that I took from this is any sort of therapy or 
delving into these experiences and taking a look at them and trying to heal help builds our community and we'll get some relief and some freedom. And as we continue to work on that, we'll achieve a higher level of freedom. So, you know, my, my question is always like, can someone fully heal from this? But I like the idea of put in some work and some freedom will come from this. So I appreciate that greatly. I think that I understand trauma a little more now. So thanks. I'm sure in the future we will get much deeper into it, but that was a great introduction. Yes, definitely. We will definitely be having Sarah back to get into some more, some more specifics. Any last words you have, Sarah, before Corey takes us out? Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about this and um, healing too. And it's just so cool to have this conversation with the two of you. And I do hope that this can give someone some sort of aha moment, even if it's just a little push you might have needed to look at some of the stuff that's really easy to avoid. And it is very courageous to do so. I completely agree with that word choice earlier, Dr. Cole. Uh, but thanks for having me. I'd love to be back anytime. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Cole. Absolutely. In our next podcast, Dr. Cole and I will address the question, how do I get someone help when they are not seeking help on their own? I would also like to thank our sponsor, Tomes, Tomes is a sound healing and meditation technology that can help with anxiety, depression, sleep, and much more. Tomes is brought to you by Toby Wright, four-time Grammy award-winning record producer, and my older brother. Here is a sound bath sample from Tomes. so much for that toby thank you dr cole thank you again sarah if you have any questions in regard to today's episode please email any of us at info at createoutcomes.com it's info at createoutcomes.com thank you